How's everyone doing? That is God. Um, all kids have gone, and um, it's so amazing to see them all excited about. It's getting a, a little cool. I was in Nebraska uh, speaking um, at a, a pastor's conference there, and it rained throughout. Um, it was cold and rainy, um, and then tomorrow I head out to Colorado Springs, where I'm speaking at another uh, sp uh, pastor's conference. And so it's a good thing. It's it's kind of I I go teach my classes, rush to the airport, get on the flight. Hopefully I don't miss the flight, and then get to these places, get back and teach my classes again. So it's. Um, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to uh, thank God for, uh, for flights. I don't know what we will do without flights, isn't it? I mean, people have to drive. and um, um, I don't know how did we do those long drives when my kids were smaller. You know, we took those 15-hour drives and 16-hour drives. Uh, I don't know how did we do that. We... Um, Usually it was night trips, so I was the one driving and tried to keep awake throughout the night um, so that the kids would sleep. And sometimes it was day, day trips as well. So do you remember those trips? Were they fun? No? <laughs> Your mom's giving you nice looks. <laughs> That is true. You should have told him, Abel, you're poof, just like a breath of fresh air. And he would have been happy. He would have given you a hug. No. <laughs> so long, long uh, car trips are not fun. What about train trips? Tra no? Not, not Indian trains? In, in Indian trains, you gain a new family. It's usually you're in this compartment together with a whole bunch of strangers, and the moment you open up, open up your lunch packet, it's, it's no longer yours. Everyone shares their lunch package, and you gain a new family. Isn't that great? You know, you have new aunts. You have to call everyone auntie, uncle. You gain a new aunt, and a new uncle, and a new cousin, and... Uh, so train trips, also not good. Flights, what about you? Spirit Airlines? <laughs> They're the best, Spirit Airlines. <laughs> I, I hear a, a laugh coming from that direction. <laughs> um, I, I love, I love Spirit Airlines. You know, you're, um, you're with the Spirit of God, and you... <laughs> you <laughs> You don't know what's going to happen, but you know, as long as with the, with the Spirit of God, you're okay. You're, yeah. we, we are taking another journey as we go along in, with um, um, Abraham this time. And this is camel rides. Have, have you, um, has anyone been on a long camel ride? Camel ride? Sorry? How long? How, how long was your ride? 20 minutes? was the, uh, That's no fun, isn't it? A camel ride is just one of the most painful rides. And 
That's true. Who else has been? Camel rides? No one else? You have? Was it fun? I mean, think about it. You know, all the way from Ur of Chaldees, we're talking about hundreds of miles on a camel. And that's what Abraham did to poor Sarah. He says, hey, you sit here. Ride comfortably. And um, poor Sarah. Um, Camel rides are... So think about it. Next time your dad wants to take you on a car ride, say, Dad, camel. And um, it's for, for hours and hours together, nights and days, through that desert. My goodness. That must have been horrible. Really horrible. Let's read about it. May we? It's easier to read about it, right? So uh, we are in Genesis chapter 13, Genesis 13, and um, would you arise and read with me on this? Uh, I want you to uh, be mindful of what happened before this. We're, going, we're talking about um, life as a marathon. Well, it, it could be riding a camel, it could be um, going uh, along the desert in your car, whatever it is. Camel rides are slower. Uh, and the first, the first crisis that Abraham encounters was the crisis of identity, which the first generation of immigrants encountered as they came to the United States. It's a crisis of identity. Who am I? Who am I? And, um, and then, of course, you have your generation of young people. This is called the third generation. The, the third identity, you don't know who you are. You know, your parents say, you've got, you're this, and, and your school friends say, you're this, and you say, I don't know who I am. That's what goes on in Genesis chapter 12. And then you come to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. There you encounter the crisis of famine. Now we're going into another crisis, and this has to do with a family crisis. So we begin reading at Genesis chapter 13 and verses 1 through 8 in our uh, amazing translation called the New International Version. I think it will forever remain new. I don't think it will become old anytime. It should be old by now, right? 1970s? So by now it should be called the Old International Version, but it's still called the New International Version. So let's read this. Together, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them when they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, 
Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and to the south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that everyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. O oh Lord our God, we, th we thank you for your word, and we thank you for for lessons that we can learn from these great forebearers, are uh, the runners that went on before us, this great cloud of witnesses. And so, Lord, as we uh, reflect on, on the life of, um, of Abram, all the ups and downs, we pray that you would speak to us, that we may know how to run, to run this marathon called life. In the name of the great runner, Jesus, the risen one, we pray. Amen. 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 So please be seated. I know um, Vladimir and the whole family, I think they have already left for, um, from, for Russia. So let us pray that they're able to get their uh, visas to return back. Um, you know, we prayed for Olga, and she's able, she got the right papers, and she got back here, and, and so let's pray. This is, this, is a, this is an act of faith, really, you know, because you never know what happens. I, I remember uh, when, when we went in for our papers, it was in a place called Mumbai, and um, so our whole family went there, and um, um, I had all the requisite papers, you know, a gentleman by the name of Ravi Zacharias was putting our whole PhD um, education, so we, we had all the financial thing worked out, the tickets worked out, and uh, there was this guy, African-American guy, who was sitting there, and he was refusing all visas. Everyone who went there, um, you know, was refused a visa, and... Uh, so I'm praying there, and I'm saying, Lord, no, no, not that guy. He's refusing everyone a visa. So lo and behold, guess what happened? Um, so yes, and, 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 and so, you know, my wife and I got, 
got there with our little kids at that point, and um, and we showed all our papers, and uh, and he just stamped the paper, and he said, "God bless you," and it was done. He didn't ask any questions at all. So uh, isn't that amazing? You know, uh, that was that's just how God does stuff. I did feel bad for those other people that didn't get their visas, but there must have been a reason, and there must have been a reason. He didn't ask us any questions at all. All he said is, God bless you, and, and that was it. And so I'm so thankful for that gentleman. I have not seen him after that. I wish I could give him a hug <laughs> and uh, tell him, thank you. You know, there is also another aspect that we need to be mindful of. There's a lot of turmoil in our society. Um, um, you have um, heard the news reports of, um, uh, of that uh, court in Dallas where this 18-year-old who, who did such an amazing thing, his, his brother was killed by this white police officer, you know, um, horrible for someone to just go into an apartment that belongs to him and just kill him. And that was unthinkable. And yet this 18-year-old, I would say kid, is that all right? 18-year-old goes there and he says, you have shattered my life. You have shattered the life of our family. But I know that my brother would want me to say this. And that is, I forgive you. It is unthinkable, but I forgive you. I don't wish any harm to come upon you. I don't wish any hellfire and brimstone upon you. I wish that you would know Jesus. I just want to say I love you. So powerful. I'm sure you've seen that. You've seen that, right? And then he looks at the judge and he says, Your Honor, would you uh, grant me this favor? And she looks at him, African-American judge. She looks at him and um, she doesn't know what to say. And, and then he says, May I go and give her a hug? And he walks across and gives her a hug and says, I love you. I forgive you. So powerful. So powerful to learn from this 18-year-old. And that's what I like about young people. You know, you people are just honest with, with what you think. Um, very different from lot. Do you know what does the word lot mean? We'll be talking about that. Lot is a person who hides things who hides things, it's all bottled in, you don't know what the person is thinking. Uh, and you don't know what's coming at you because the person hides things. But, but, but Abraham's the kind of person who is forthcoming. You know what he is thinking. And, and, and I like that about, about runner leaders. Let's learn some of these... Uh, some of these um, Lessons from, from, you know, amazing people like this young gentleman, but also from the life of Abram. What I like about um, the Bible is it, it says it the way it is. 
No one in the Bible is faultless except for one, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is sinless and clean and faultless. Everyone else comes through as someone that you don't want to follow. And you say, what? Abram, you're like this? What did you do to your wife? Why, yes, you, you left when God says, um, go, go think for yourself and leave your country. You did all that stuff and God promised you stuff. But, but look at what you do, did to your wife. Look, look at what happened when there was famine. You weren't thinking about her and the family, but you were just thinking about yourself. So, good leaders are people who go on this journey, go on this journey, but admit their failures and come to terms with their failures. That's, that's the great thing about running. You fall down, and I've fallen down several times. Well, but the point is, it's not falling down that is important. It's, it's can you get up? Do you get up? Do you say, I'm going to get up? Yes, I've fallen down. I've got my weaknesses, but I'm going to get up now and I'm going to keep running. By God's grace, I'm going to keep running. So good runner leaders always are honest and admit their failures. Now, I don't know if Abraham admitted his failures. We, we, don't, we don't read about that. The text doesn't make it clear. But we do know this, that the, he does take the second step, and that is a step that kind of gives me the sense that he did admit his failures. Perhaps not to the whole extent, but to some extent. In verse, verse 1 of chapter 13, it says... Abram went up, right? What does it say in our translation there? I, 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 um, um, so there it is. Abram went up. Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. And, and the word that is translated as went up in, in Hebrew is the word aliyah. aliyah. It's, 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 it's the word that's used of a person who, who comes to acknowledge his faults and looks up to God and say, Lord, will you just take my hand and pick me up? I've messed up solidly. And that's what Abram does. He, he gets up, makes aliyah. That's what happens when people sing psalms. There are several psalms in the Bible that are called aliyot. These are songs where you mess up like, like David messed up and, and he goes up before God and, in Psalm 51 and he says, Lord, my, my bones are kind of, they're knocking together. My, my whole being is shattered. I cannot sleep. It, it, it's, it's a horrible time. Would you just pick me up now? Please, I've messed up big time. Would you pick me up? And so Abraham does. And, and that's what good leaders do. Good leaders would, would come back, would, would come back to, to God and say, Lord, I have messed up, but I want to arise. I want to arise. So that's the second lesson that I draw from this person called Abraham. Yes, we will mess up. 
we will mess up. And, and when we mess up, we shouldn't beat each other down because people mess up. We are weak. When we are human, we will mess up. So we, instead of beating each other down, I think the point is we need to, we need to lift someone's hand. It's like the athletes do, right? On, on the, unfortunately, they don't do it to, um, to, uh, to the opposing players. They always do it to their own teammates, unfortunately. But, but, but the Bible says do it to everybody. Pick them up. Everyone messes up. And let's realize that we will mess up also, perhaps doing the same things. There's no point beating down another person, but let's pick each other up. And when we do that, then it says something quite beautiful there. And, and I like that Angela puts up the verses there. So let's, let's read the next part there in, in, in these verses. Um, so it says, Abraham went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife, everything he had, and Lot went with him. So what do good leaders do? Good leaders always take other people along with them. Good runner leaders, they always make sure that they take other people along with them. And, and think about it. You know, he's taking Sarah along with him. Can you imagine what that journey would have been like? Well, think about the car ride, you know. Suppose they're going in the car and Abraham missed, messed up in a solid way. Do you, do, you, do you know what was going through in the first part of that journey? I don't know. She was probably giving him the silent treatment. Something, or do you think she would have been angry and she said, What? I would have been raped. Don't you know that? And they would have probably gone at it, you know. He, he, she would have said a million and one things to him, which, which he deserved. Don't you think so? And, and do you think he would have taken it? I don't know. These old patriarchs, they probably find excuses. People who do awful things, they always rationalize. They always rationalize. You know, what, what happened? You know, it's okay. God saved you. And, and, and um, you know, and, and I knew God will save you. That's a good, another good one, right? I knew it. I believe in God. And I knew God's going to save you. And she would look at him like, what? What are you talking about? God saved me not because of you. God saved me because God is God. So think about all those conversations that were going on. But the nice thing is that Abraham wanted to learn those lessons. And he probably heard Sarah. So good leaders come back to conversing with people. Good leader runners come to places where they can learn from others. But they also take other people along with them, people like Lot. Lot was a very um, conniving person. He was a secretive person. You don't know what's going to hit you. You don't know whether you know, this person will be the deceptive kind of a person, like Judas Iscariot who followed Jesus. He followed Jesus for all that time and pretended to follow Jesus. And then, and then, of course, when Jesus, toward the end of his life, he came up with his own ideas and, and he, he deceived Jesus. And Jesus was 
taken away by the Roman soldiers, by the temple soldiers, and so on and so forth. So followers are made up of all kinds of people. And that's what the church is like. The church is made up of people that we have done wrong to. People like Sarah's. The church is made up of people who may want to be pretend followers, only to do awful things to others. That's happened in society, isn't it? But it's not for you and me to make those choices because we have to go and seek out followers just like Abram did. There will be lots, there will be Sarah's, there will be all kinds of people, and God has his way of interacting with people. So good leaders will always take all kinds of people along with them. Why? Because they're running a race. And life is a race. Life is a journey. So it says Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his woman, and, um, and others along with him, uh, uh, and Lot goes with him, and, and then it says something about Abraham that's very interesting, right? What does it say? It says here, so Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. And Abraham had become very wealthy. How did he become wealthy? Do you remember that? He had sold his wife, pretended that she was his sister. And he got all these Mercedes Benz and Maserati and all kinds of, you know, um, uh, fantastic cars and houses and, and everything. And I don't know how was he living with himself. You would have thought that he would have left all that in Egypt because that is ill-gotten wealth, right? But he said, mm, let's take it along. This is for you, honey. And he took it along with him. The problem is that ill-gotten wealth always leads to family crises. Ill-gotten wealth always leaves, leads to not only family crises, but crises within. How can you live with yourself? I mean, when you cheat on your taxes, how can we live with yourself? When you cheat other people and you've gained from that, how can you live with yourself? How can you go and buy something for that, from that money which you know is ill-gotten wealth. And so you have people that, that do those kinds of things, and, and, and Abraham had to come to the realization that ill-gotten wealth would always lead to, to family, family crises because there is no honesty there. Yes, there is honest wealth when you and I work hard for stuff, that's okay, because we worked hard for it. But whenever it is ill-gotten, it always leads to disaster. And you cannot be a good runner leader if you do that kind of a thing. Not only that, but it says something about the land, right? What does it say? Let's, let's read what does the text say here in, um, in Genesis chapter 13. 
It says um, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And so he goes there and he came, comes to Bethel, to the place in between Bethel and Ai. And then it goes on to, to talk about um, uh, he came to, uh, he called on the name of the Lord. And then Lot was, was moving about with Abraham. And then it says that the land could not support them. Now that's very interesting because the, 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 the word that is translated as could not support them is a word that describes the land as being almost like a human being, trying to pick up these people. And that's what the environment does. When, when you and I mess up in our run in life, it almost seems like the rest of creation is saying, come on, get back to square one. Do something about it. It's, it's, it's like we should be able to listen to the birds in the sky and the trees and, and the animals around it. Is, don't you get this feeling, those of you who have got pets, you know, it almost seems like if you mess up, the dog looks at you and say, hmm, you messed up. Have you heard that? <laughs> oh, you should hear that sometimes. It's really cool. It's if you, if you, are, if you get in tune with, with the animal kingdom and with creation around us, it's almost like there is a voice that's coming there and God is speaking to us. I'm actually of the opinion that the Bible makes this clear also that, um, that environmental disasters that happen happen because of what we as human beings do to the environment. There is a gathering that's going on right now in Vatican where the Pope has called all these leaders to talk about what we do to the environment, to, the, to Amazon, to, to all of these places. And we need to be able to listen to young people again, like, 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 like Thunberg. You know, these are 18-year-old, 16-year-old young people who are talking about, come on, people, listen to creation. This is God's creation. And if we, if we don't care about God's creation, then we don't care about God because God has created creation to be God. And it's our responsibility to take care of creation. So here you find that the land is not able to sustain this ill-gotten gain that human beings have gotten as a result of bad decisions, bad business decisions that they have made. So, as the text goes on, it talks about being careful, being mindful. Uh, good runner leaders are always mindful of, of listening to creation. Uh, and let's read a little further. Ill-gotten wealth always leads to family crises. Good leader runners also realize that ill-gotten wealth always leads to environmental fiasco. Um, it's, um, th there's a lot in the Bible that also talks about, for example, this, this donkey that is, that is talking to this prophet. Do you remember that? You know, there's this prophet called Balaam, and he's not listening to God, and the doc donkey kind of stops there and says, why aren't you listening to God? Have you ever heard the voice of a donkey? 
You have not, come on, donkeys are nice animals to, to speak well. But that's what the donkey says. Um, there's a lot there in the Bible where we, we listen to creation. But as the, as the text goes on further, it talks about things that are important. Let, let's read on further in this text. Um, so Abraham says to Lot, uh, let's not have any quarreling. Or let's go to the previous verse there, please. The land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And, and that's, a, that's a very clear motivation for good runner leaders, something that is flat out important, where it says they were not able to dwell together. Literally, the word used there is that they were not able to be at one with each other. Whenever there is ill-gotten wealth, whenever we are out of sync with God's creation, whenever we are out of sync with ourselves, we cannot be at unity with others. Whenever, and that's one of the crucial issues in marriage also, right? We cannot have that unity when we have disharmony of any kind. When we don't have that honesty with each other, that oneness that, that, that is seen at the pinnacle in, 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 in God as being one. And so Jesus says when he's praying in John chapter 17, there's a very profound verse there in John chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, Father, Abba, I pray that these people would be one, just like you and me are one. Let them be one. But how can we be one? How can we be one? Well, only way we can be one is when we sh shut aside every note of disharmony. This is the same word that is used uh, in Psalm 133 and verse 1. It's, it's a psalm that is very often sung in Jewish communities. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Hinematob, Umanayim, Shevet, Achim, Gam Yachad. What is the goal of, of, of community? The goal of community is unity. And when unity is destroyed, then there's disharmony. And that's one of the things in running. All runners are people who have to run together. Teams are teams only when they are in oneness together. And, and, and any church that has disharmony within itself cannot go further. And so he says, there is disharmony. He looks at Lot and he says, there is disharmony. But there's another thing that he keeps in mind, and that is he, he wants to get rid of, and good runner leaders are people who don't want to get involved in the petty squabbles of people around you. If we, 
if we get engrossed in, 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 in the word that's used there that's, that's translated as quarreling is this, this min minor and petty squabbles where we just want to be like, like crabs. Have you seen crabs? You know, when I was in India, we would go from the seminary into these uh, streams and we'd catch crabs and we'd put them, those crabs in buckets. And, and, and it was okay. None of those crabs will, 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 will escape. Because as soon as one crab tries to get a little bit up, uh, the other crab will go and pull this crab down. And so those crabs will never disappear. So all we'll do is we'll just get a whole lot of crabs and put them in these buckets. And then, of course, we'll go and do the crabby thing by cooking them up. Um, at, uh, in our apartments. But, but the point is that many times we do that as Christians, isn't it? We, we, that's what the word quarreling is. It's those petty squabbles. And all we do is we, we, want, we don't want others to make any um, headway in our run because we want to just pull people down. We want to pull people down. And that's one of the things that Gandhi said about Christians. He said, all these people do is pull each other down. The Baptist says this about the Pentecostal, who says this about the Martomite, who says this about the Jacobite, who says this about those evangelicals, who says this. All we do is we pull each other down. Good runners would not want to do that. Good runner leaders are people who don't get involved in the petty squabbles of, of communities around, of societies around. Why? Because it says the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the, and the Parasites and the Termites and all those people are looking at you. That's important, right? Whenever we mess up, we've got to realize, or whether we be running, we've got to realize that people are looking. When we have kids, little kids are looking at us. Every single move we make. When we are young people, and you have little kid brothers and sisters, they're looking at you. You may say one thing, but how's your action? I have to be always mindful of that with my own kids and now with my grandkids. How am I reacting to that situation on the road? How am I reacting to that situation that happened with my neighbors? How am I reacting to, to all kinds of things? So these are people who are looking at you. And Jesus was always mindful of that. Right through his life, he would say to his disciples, remember people are looking at you. And either you can be people who say, come along with me because I'm following Jesus, or we make decisions in which others will say, why should I go with him? Look at what she did. Look at what, we, what he did. And so that's one of the reasons why the text makes it clear that we've got to be very careful and very mindful of people who are looking at us, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and so on and so forth. Um, 
It's one of the things that I often say to my Christian students because North Park has got so many non-Christian students. I said, you've got to be careful. You may be singing nice songs in the worship team and all that, but other students are watching. They're looking out for every single action you take. And as we go on further, it it talks about how how, uh, Abraham says to to, to Lot, who is the secretive person, it's probably time for us to separate from each other. And sometimes we have to make those kinds of decisions. If someone is causing hurdles in your run and in my run by introducing wrong ethics, you know, whether it be smoking or vaping or whatever it is, that's causing hindrances. Sometimes it's okay to say it's time for us to separate. Why? Because God himself separates. Remember Genesis chapter 1? It's the same word that's used there. And God separated light from darkness. And God separated this thing, this entity from this entity. God separated, God separated. So you find God doing that all the time and it's so important for us to come to the realization that sometimes it is okay to separate. Because each one has to learn their journey and and you find that that, that, that Paul had to make those kinds of decisions as well. So in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about this person called Demas who was taking the church down and was so much in love with his money. And Paul said, it's okay, Demas, you can go your own way. And that's okay. It's okay. Because people need to learn their lessons as they go along. The tenth lesson, and I'm going to go through these very, very quickly, is that good runner leaders always fetch the high road. What does Abram say? He says, you look around. You make the decision. If you make the decision according to your best judgment that you want to go here, you go there. I'll just go in the other direction. That's okay. If you say, I want to choose this way, this place to live in, I'll go in the other direction. He takes the high road. He doesn't know what Lot's going to choose. And many times, as good runner leaders, we need to make those kinds of decisions. Take the high road. And it's okay. God will take care of the rest. And of course, Lot makes absolutely the worst decision possible. He goes to the place where he wasn't thinking about his family. He wasn't thinking about the ethical norms of the place where horrible things were happening, where men were doing bad things to women, women were doing bad things to children. There was violence. There was a lot of destruction. But, but Lot says, oh no, this place looks really good. This will be economically very good for me. And Lot goes in that direction. And Abraham just looks around and goes in the other direction. And that's when God breaks through. 
And so good runner leaders always await for God's face to shine through in crises and go to this place which was the place of encounter. In Hebrew, the word makom that, that is translated as place is a very technical term. It's the place where you and I encounter God. It's the place where you encountered God the very first time you encountered God. So go back to that place, and good runners will always do that. In running, I would always remind myself of those things when I'm running Boston Marathon or Chicago Marathon or something. I would imagine when I reach that point where I say, I can't do this anymore, I would imagine going to that place in, on, on um, uh, the Skokie Boulevard or somewhere there or Skokie Lagoon and say, that's where I encountered God. And it just transforms the whole run. And we need to go, go to those kinds of places and say, Lord, I'm tired. I am falling apart. There have been so many lots in my life. I have messed up completely. And we say, God, would you just break through now? And he does. And he will. Because that's what the Bible says, right? Philippians chapter 2, have this mind in you, which is the mind of that great runner, Jesus. Who being God himself, did not want to hold on to it, but he came down and became human. And human beings did all kinds of awful things to him. But he still didn't give up. But he kept on going. And he kept on going. And he kept on giving. And he kept on giving. That's what Abram learned to do, even though he messed up. He learned to trust in God. What a change, right? Before that, he wanted to gain all that wealth. And now he says, I'm ready to let go. And let God take control. And he will. And that's a beautiful life. That's a beautiful run. You're not carrying all that load on you anymore. You let go of all that. And you just run. It's beautiful. Would you pray?